0: So again, it's 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17, page uh, page 959 in the Black Pew Bibles. Uh, Let's think of this sermon like any other sermon as it relates to where do we want to get by the end. So if we're illustrating this up front, let's imagine we're bowling together. This sermon is at the bowling alley and there are gutters on either side. And so in order to even just knock down a pin or hopefully hit a strike and it be a home run kind of sermon of God's word, we, we can't fall into the gutter. So in this case, I would call gutter number one the lack of gospel root won't bring about the fruit of 1 John two fifteen to 17. So that's gutter number one. If you're not rooted in what has already been said in 1 John 1.1 to 2.14, and you just focus on 2.15 to 17, because John did not intend you to read this letter that way, although we're going to examine these three verses, you, you could fall into the gutter of not getting the fruit of the gospel because you're not rooted in the gospel. Gutter number two, on the other hand, is misunderstanding what John means by world. And too often, we have a mindset of created physical world is filled with so much evil and darkness, and we need to escape to the spiritual world. And so, that would be gutter number two, to read the world as God's good creation, and that we should not love God's good creation. That is not what John is talking about at all, and that would be very easy for any of you, as soon as I start reading it, to maybe start thinking that way. And if you go that way, you're in the gutter already. So let's stay in the lane with the gospel as our route and with a reminder that God's creation is good. And with those two reminders, let's just read the text to get going. Verses 15 to 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. And we'll pause there and that'll end our reading of God's word. The grass will wither, the flowers will fade, but the word of the Lord, just like what is said in verse 17, it will endure and abide forever. Amen? As we think through these three verses, I have provided for you a single sentence that I hope will serve you well to get down the lane and hopefully bear good gospel fruit. Do not be driven by or driven to the world. Rather, be driven by And be driven to the love of the Father. That's my attempt to hopefully summarize these three verses in the broader context of 1 John and guiding us down these three verses. I think we will hopefully, if using the word driven by as a substitute synonym for love, that will help us in verses 15, 16, and 17. And so, for an outline, what we're going to do is just take one verse at a time 15. There are two loves. And we want to think about how these two loves, the love of the Father contrasted with the love of the world, are telling us about something that we are being driven by and something that we are driving to source and destination. In verse 16, the second part of this message will be, there are three elements that help define the world. And third and finally, we will be motivated and encouraged with the one singular way to live. Two loves, three elements that make up the world, but there's one way to live. That will be your Sermon outline, your your guide for this message. And in each step along the way, I'm hoping that you will see that we should not be driven by or driven to the world or the things of the world. Rather, we should be driven by and driven to the love of God the Father through Christ his Son by the power of his Holy Spirit. Let's start with verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world if anyone loves the world the love of the father is not in him there's two loves described here a love that is toward the world and a love that is toward the father the love you could even translate the of word there love for or to the father but notice also there's a love that's in the love of the father To him comes from within. That's why it's both driven by and driven to. This is the first time in 1 John that John commands, suggests, tells you to do anything. From 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, carefully, slowly read all the way up to chapter 2, verse 15. And you will notice that there is what is called the imperative tense, absent Not there. Just describing Jesus in verses 1 through 4. The word became flesh. We touched him, heard him, seen him. And this is the message. That God is light and in him is no darkness. And we want to walk in the light and walk as Jesus did. But as he says those things, he doesn't tell you, I command you, walk like Jesus. Now, it might be implied for sure. But he doesn't say it that way. He just says, if you're in the light, then you walk in the light. And you can't go around saying, I'm in the light, but then walk in the darkness. It's like, that doesn't make sense. He's describing things from verse one of chapter one, all the way to chapter two, verse 14. And now we turn a corner. We drop the light imagery from this point forward in the rest of 1 John, even though he emphatically stated in verse five of chapter one, This is the message. The message is that God is light. He's not going to use the word light again. Instead, what we're going to see is an increased repetition of the word world and love. Which is why last week... We separated out for an entire sermon this final concluding section of verses 12 to 14 and I want you to see the relationship between verses 12 through 14 and really all that came before it and then now this transition point to verse 15. Do not love the world then or as I have already alluded to the root of the gospel message of God's light and love demonstrated through the Son of God Jesus Christ that light that has entered into this dark world. We should receive that. Walk in it. And if we're walking in it, then we will be compelled to not love the world. And so please think deeply about verses 12 through 14's triads. Children, fathers, young men. These sets of three, and then notice right in the middle of our text, verse 16, these sets of three, desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. I think there's a comparison contrast of him saying, I'm writing to you because of my great confidence that you are children, you are fathers, you are young men, you are in the family of God. And then he describes that your sins have already been forgiven. You already now have a personal relationship with the eternal God who is from the beginning. You already now are strong and abiding in God's word and have overcome the evil one. Gospel root. And on the basis of these gospel truths of who God is, what he has already been doing through his son Jesus Christ, he then and only then transitions to, and on the basis of the gospel, we live our lives Of not loving the things of the world so ditch alley number one do not fall into this sermon being primarily and only a here's a bunch of things that you should be doing however i think it would be a disservice if we're not really thinking about the applications that flow out from verses 15 to 17 how practical and helpful this instruction is for how we should live He's telling us how to live in this world. So we should receive that, but not at the exclusion of him already telling you how Jesus Christ has lived, died, suffered in your place, on a cross for the forgiveness of all of your sins, past, present, and future, been buried in the ground, rose from the dead, and they have touched the resurrected Lord. They have verified it as eyewitness testimony. And 1 John chapter 2, 1 and 2, first two verses. Little children, I don't want you to sin, but you should know that even when you do sin as Christians, you have an advocate, Jesus Christ, at the Father's right hand. So this is what I mean. Don't, for the rest of this message, tune out the established foundation of the gospel, even though we will focus our time on these words, which are imperatives, they're commands, they're they're instructing us how we should live as Christians in light of the light. So first, verse 15 tells us that there are two kinds of loves. Love that drives us and a love that drives us to something. And there's a love of the world contrasted with the love of the Father. And notice the incompatibility of these two loves. As Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 6 verse 24, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, Jesus is more specific here, but John sat under Jesus. This idea of there's one or the other. There's there's not a mixture here. The incompatibility of the love of the world versus the love of the Father is what verse 15 is telling us. If anyone loves the world then you do not have the love of the Father in you. My illustration to help you make sense of this would be thinking about you understanding your physical body and realizing that you need oxygen in order to live. If we were to be completely submerged in water, then you would have so much time before that oxygen ran out. What John is trying to explain in terms of an analogy is that the world has been submerged with sin, like a flood of water, and all of us have been swimming in this world, and if you try and love this way of the world, this system of the way it's currently situated, that would be like you thinking, I'm going to just breathe in the water. That's insane. That's insane. That's incompatible with the way you were designed and created. You will make your life shorter. You will pass away sooner. That kind of incompatibility, a human living in water, this is not Kevin Costner water world for those of you that grew up in the 90s. This is you cannot live in water. You need air. And this is what he's describing as the love of the Father that animates, that drives to the Father, is what you are made for. And therefore, do not love the animating powers of the world. Submit yourself in loyalty, like a master, as Jesus the Master said. You cannot love God and money. You cannot love Christ supremely and the ways of the world. Our next verse is going to explain for us what this world means. As we just look at verse 15, do you agree with me that this is what verse 15 is saying? There's a contrast between the love of the world and the love of the Father, that this love is both in something that's in you, therefore it has a a driving function like a passion, a fuel that makes you go. And then it's directed to an end towards something, towards someone. And here John is saying, don't be driven by the things of the world, nor have the world as your end destination. Rather, the love that comes from above, the love of the Father being poured into your heart and then driving you forward in this physical created world toward love, good deeds self-sacrificial service. It's interesting to me that out of all of the gospel writers, it's only John that describes the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at the end of John's gospel as Jesus himself breathing into his disciples. And I know that this might be somewhat strange, but if we're swallowed up in the just filth of the water of the flood of this world in its ways its systems its institutions its people and they're just drinking it in in foolishness not just drink but breathing it in to their destruction it's as if God crashed into the water like somebody that's about to pass out and then drowned to death. And then he comes and gives mouth-to-mouth resuscitation, breathes life into you. And even though it's temporary and your body will physically die, that is a momentary picture of the life that he's breathing out into us. And that's described not as just oxygen, but as the love of the Father. The Father's love is like the breath that goes out into you and animates your physical body. And that's the image that I'm hoping you take away from this first point, this contrast between the love that drives you, animates you, and then the love in its destination, the Father. Don't don't love the things of this world, the things that won't last, as verse 17 will make clear. Otherwise, it will accelerate your death and destruction. It will crush your family and marriage and relationships. It will destroy and divide a church. Self-centered love that begins with me and terminates on a created thing, which is what we call idolatry, is a perfect recipe for death, destruction, and dissolution of anything that's good in creation. It's interesting, isn't it, that the first command is right here. Chapter 2 verse 15, don't love the world. What's the last command? Well, it's the last verse. Flip over to 1 John chapter 5 verse 21. Like I think helpful bookends. Here's how we're going to conclude the 1 John sermon series. Verse 21 little children, keep yourselves from idols. Now, idolatry is not a word that John's going to use repeatedly, so it's almost like out of nowhere you might think, idolatry? Keep yourselves from idols? Since when did he talk about that? Did somebody tack that on at the end? Did somebody manipulate these letters and manuscripts? No. You should understand verse 15 is saying, do not take the good things of the created world and turn them into the affections of your love, the, the idolatry of having your heart's desire terminate right here on a created thing. Rather, let the good created world, including your human body and all of the things that revolve around living and moving, let them have a Godward trajectory. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, I want you to hopefully understand that when we use the word gospel, we understand that the good news of the Christian faith is this. God made a very good world, but we as humans, we have taken the raw materials of this created world and we have abused it, misused it for our own selfish ends, fleeting pleasures, and desires. And then, this is why we've died. This is why death exists. This is the definition of the wages of our sin is death. But the good news, which is why we call gospel good news, because that's what it means, is that the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. He has rescued us, not from physical material world, but he's rescued us from this broken, fallen condition of sin. And that's why he came and died on the cross. You too can have now the breath of life. Even though the world is swallowed up in all kinds of sin and darkness, light can come into your heart. Light can come into a community. Already now you can have life like oxygen help you live for the remaining days until Christ returns and then all of the sin and evil and darkness and the the waters recede. We put our hope in that rather than trying our best to make the most of these limited finite breaths underwater. So I hope you would see that there is a basic move of two kinds of love. Every single one of us in this room, we have been made and created by God as the engine that drives us as humans, that engine could be summarized as love. So then, is your love a worldly love that terminates on worldly things? Or is that love actually from the Father, directed back to the Father in an ever-increasing cycle of infinite joy, hope, and increased love? That's Point one, there's two kinds of love. You need to choose today. Are you living and pursuing and being driven by the love of the world versus the love of the Father? Secondly, in verse 16, we should notice that there are three elements of the world. And this is where it's going to get especially personal, private, into the very nitty-gritty details of your life and our church. Verse 16 For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but it's from the world. Remember, our big sentence idea to make sense of all three verses is we should not be driven by or driven to the world. Rather, we should be driven by and be driven to God, by the love that God has shown us. the Father sending his Son and empowering us now with his Spirit in us. As we move to verse 16, we should notice that John is even more explicit about the in-ness, the inwardness of the worldly desires that are manifest in the way that we live. So again, the idea here, gutter number two, is that you would think that, John is talking about freedom from a created physical world, that salvation is ultimately about escaping our physical bodies. A a, a normal caricature, a, a misunderstanding of the Christian faith is that, well, salvation is about going to heaven when my physical body dies and escaping this physical world to live in a spiritual form for the rest of my existence. Interestingly enough, that's the very thing that people left the church in this first John community because they believed in a spiritual salvation and not a physical one. He starts out what he says in chapter one, verses one through four to say, guys, why did Jesus, the son of God, take on human flesh if the whole point was to escape the flesh? No, he is right now ascended in bodily flesh. This is not a contrast between created physical things and non-created things. It's about the desires that drive you and animate the way you live in the created world. So, in the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 2, God takes dust, clay, and he forms it and then he breathes life. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, dust And the divine breath of God animates and gives life and should then reflect the rule and the love of God throughout the whole world. That's the starting point of the Bible. Humans were made by the dust of the ground and the divine breath that gives them life. However, as we have seen, sin entered into the world and caused us to turn from God, turn in, on creation, exchange the truths about God that are plain and obvious to us for idolatry. Worshiping created things rather than the creator. And so, in verse 16, there are three elements of the world. And notice that none of them are saying the real problem here is the physicality of the world. All three of them are talking about this inner driving force First, the lust of the flesh. Second, the lust of the eyes. Third, the pride of life. Let's take them one at a time. First, John says we should not love the world or the things of the world. What are the things of the world? The things of the world are the manifestations both physically and spiritually. These are not at odds with each other. If a person is being motivated by desires and lusts of their sensual physical cravings, what does that look like? It's not just mental spiritual stuff. It actually produces behavior, creates actions. The word epimuthia here in Greek is not a negative word. It's the word in verse 17 that's translated in English, desire. It's the same exact word. I think it would be better for all of you to think that this word for lust is about passion, driving force, something that compels me to do something. Is that good or bad? That's just reality. You are being driven by some kind of love, some kind of affection. The question is, is it short-term, fleeting cravings of just the physical flesh? As if my soul's satisfaction, my deepest longings could be satisfied with food. Physical cravings, being satisfied, appetites. That's often the way many people try and capture the essence of this first element of the world cravings, appetites, pleasures. The pleasures of this world, especially as in light of what we're about to find in verse 17, how fleeting and short they are. Have you ever had an amazing gourmet meal and then got hungry again? Have you ever had a euphoric experience at a at a concert only to realize that you were hungry for more, for bigger, for better, for louder, for cooler? Have you ever noticed this tendency, not just in your own heart, but in society? We started with a small screen iPhone, and now it gets bigger and sharper and cooler. And regardless of its functionality, we've got to have it. From year to year to year, this craving of the flesh for more should reveal to all of us. It's not satisfying The reason we were made. The sense of satisfaction where you feel completely full, not just physically, but holistically full. Like, I could have no more and I am content. And at the same time, still be driven to love and give and pour oneself out. This is going to be the marked difference between a a craving of the sinful worldly flesh versus the one that is driven by the love of God, contentedness, the sense of peace, the desire to share and give. Earlier this week, I was meeting with a group of church members, and we were discussing whether or not the end of the world was coming. And a comment was made about stockpiling canned goods, getting your bunker ready, doomsday. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? These sort of ideas and thoughts? I have no predictions to make in case any of you are wondering today. Is today the day? Is this the day where we turn a corner at Embassy Church and Phil makes a prophetic prophecy of the end of the world? It is not. Rather, I said I have no specific commendation nor condemning if someone would like to stockpile canned goods for certain reasons based on things they see in the economy or the way they're reading the world, they are free, especially if they're not gonna get themselves into crazy amounts of debt or, or steal to, to do it. Let's just say, some of you are doing this in the, in the room. That's a behavior. Is it being driven by the desire that if doomsday's right and you have accurately predicted the end of the world, you're gonna do so to share, to love, to bring people in, or is it the me and mine? Do you see the difference between two actions that are the exact same on the surface, but one is being driven by preservation for me and the other for generous providing for others? You could probably think of a thousand more practical daily examples, and that's what I would encourage you to think about as it relates to the difference between the love of the Father animating a person, a created being, and that expressing itself in the world versus the love of the world and it expressing itself in selfishness, terminating and ending on temporary finite pleasures. The second element of the world is the lust, the desire, the Passion of the eyes. I think here we should understand this as the desire to satisfy external appearances, which many people, and rightly so, would include in this category the lust of pornography or the lust of uh, sexual satisfaction. Is that included here? Absolutely. Is it exclusively only talking about that? I don't think so. That would be way too narrow. This has to do with anything about beauty, the fear of man's approval of wanting to look a certain way. I mean, probably the object in our physical creation that has been used to exacerbate the love of the world by the desires of the eyes is the mirror in your bathroom. The obsessive looking at oneself, not for the sake of modesty or not wanting to be overly distracting, but to get pats on the back. How how fleeting is it in this world for us to want to flex in the mirror, looking good, feeling strong, or do up our makeup? The word cosmetic actually comes from this Greek word kosmos, which is the word world, the same root. Now, ladies, in case any of you, or gentlemen, for whatever, are in the habit of having cosmetic things to your life please do not misunderstand me we live in a physical material world that is not the end problem it's the driving force of it is it for you or is it for the glory of the lord is it being driven from a receiving of all that god has already communicated of saying you are beautiful in the gospel you're my son and daughter I love you. My word has been planted in you. So now walk with the confidence, not of how well you put on your makeup this morning, but in the confidence of Jesus Christ's death on the cross. Is there anything more lovely and more beautiful to help you put your shoulders back and walk with confidence today? The desire of the eyes is that envy, that looking out and never being satisfied with what you see in your life as you compare it with the others. Many people say this is essentially covetousness coveting what my neighbor has, purchasing way more than I can afford because I would like to impress that lady or that guy, that coworker, feeling like I'm trying to keep up with the materialism of America. Isn't this obvious? Like, Am I actually saying anything right now that isn't just overtly obvious? That if you follow the money, you will see that money is what is driving so much of the institutions, the ways of politics, the campaigns on advertisements. This craving of the flesh, this envy of the eyes. Isn't it the job of advertisement industries to put before you image after image and make you feel less? It's what they're trying to do. So don't be duped by those inadequate, self-centered, dead-end loves. Don't be driven by them and don't be driven to them. Receive the love of God the Father in Christ the Son and walk in the fullness of the Spirit by having your eyes set not on earthly things, but on the reigning, ruling, ascended, created God-man, Jesus Christ. And know that he will make all things right, including your aging, decaying, slowly fading physical body and this world world as we currently see it in all of its manifestations, both individually, socially, in families, churches, institutions, but then even just more corporately as it relates to the rest of the cosmic universe. Element number three. We've discussed that there are two lusts. There's a lust in the craving of this flesh. Then there is the lust of the eyes. Finally, the pride. I think a better translation, the pride of one's possessions. The third and final element of the world is is not the pride of of life as it relates to, well, I'm proud that I'm alive or I'm proud that I exist. The word bios here that we get our word biology from is actually what is described. And it's probably better to realize it as it's used even in 1 John chapter 3 verse 16 and 17. The, The world's goods The things of the world, the material possessions that you have. And notice that in 1 John 3, 16 and 17, he says, you should share those things. You can't say I have the love of the Father in me, and then you don't generously share with your brother and sister. Like, these are incompatible. These are two different loves. And so here it's the pride of power, the pride of security, the being driven to feeling contented because you have enough money in your bank account because you feel safe about the locks on your your door and the security system that you have installed, the endless things that you could point to that say, I have a sense of confidence of moving around this world because, and then you fill in the blank. If you have locks on your car and you hit the button on your way into church today, I am not condemning you for saying that you did that. That is if all of us should go around and not act like evil isn't rampant and that we all probably should lock your doors in your house and in your car. I love this one pastor, theologian, evangelist. He says, if you want to convince a room full of non-Christians that there's sin in the world, just ask all of them, hey, what's in your pocket or purse? Keys. Why? Because you don't trust people because there's sin. The point here is more of Is that your ultimate trust? Is that you navigating the world in wisdom? Or is that you putting your hopes and your trusts in the things of the world? Whatever we can offer here on this earth that doesn't last. And so therefore, understand this little triad of desires of the flesh, the coveting, covetous eyes, the pride of our possessions, are all these three elements that show that there is a way of living and moving in this world where you're being driven by something. And then that will manifest itself in the things you say, the actions of how you live, the way you spend your money, how you organize your calendar. And John wants to make it clear for all of us that the world here is not created things that need to be Removed from our life. Live, live out in the, the rural country sticks of the middle of nowhere because we need to try and just hunker down and wait until Jesus returns. That, that's nowhere in the New Testament. Rather, walk, move, live, eat, drink, socialize, schedule your calendar, and go about your life being driven by the love of the Father. There's one way to live. And that's what Versa Aventine says. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Brothers and sisters, if you're a Christian, it's because you have been driven by the power of the Holy Spirit, which is the love of God in Christ Jesus being poured into your heart and driving you to the eternal love of the triune God. It creates a a beautiful cyclical circle every single Sunday where we receive the bread and the cup, we receive Christ, we take it in, we receive God's word and we let it abide in us and then we go out and then we serve and love and then we get it again and again. At at bare minimum on Sundays, but obviously you all should know, tonight before you go to bed, there is the opportunity to sit at your bedside, kneel on the ground and live in a posture of humble, dependent prayer in accordance to say, May your kingdom come and may your will be done, because all I want to do is hollow your name. So, God, I give my life, my week to you. Do that. Live that way, practically, pray the way Jesus taught you to pray. I'm not, I'm not here to live for just short-term, temporary gains. I'm here to be driven and fueled by the love that lasts, a love that keeps infinitely pouring out, and it will never leave me in this state of just deep emptiness. Oh, how many of you are here today because you have experienced the rock-bottom emptiness of the other way to live, the loves of this world. And how fleeting and short-lived those joys are. And how important it is to us to now be reminded that in the short time we have before the return of Jesus, when all of the evil of the world has been wiped away and new bodies and new creation has been come into existence, physical, material world, fully animated by the Holy Spirit. That day is coming soon. And in the meantime, we should live as if that has already taken place in the resurrection, ascension, and outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Living not with frantic busyness, but rather contented, cool, peaceful trust in the sovereign will of God. Do the will of God, and then you will see long-term desires for satisfaction supersede, and push out short-term fleeting pleasures. When the long-term vision of the will of God starts to capture your mind, it's not as if you're going to pursue things that are ugly because beautiful shiny things are bad. You will see them in a long-term eternal lens rather than in the short-term fleeting pleasures. Similarly, do you have security and trust and hope in this current manifestation of the world or do you realize that like guys we could build bigger barns and we could store up all that we could possibly imagine and feel really contented in our stockpile of canned goods cash in the bank and then very this night your life be taken from you all that for what that's what Jesus said when people were trying to live right now as if the kingdom was going to come through the current regime of the present way the world works. We, we need an entirely more radical, upside-down kingdom from top to bottom, from inside out. So do not be fueled, do not be directed by and to the things of this world, rather, let your love be fueled by and direct you to the love of God that is in Christ Jesus as we walk through this realize we have turned a corner and for the rest of 1 John chapter 2 verse 18 and following we will come back to this idea again and again and he will thankfully not just leave the gospel to the first section of the 1 John he will tell us 1 John chapter 4 you can only love Because he first loved us by sending his son because of his great love for the world. He loves the world. You should love the world in the same way that the father does. He loves his creation, so you should love his creation. You should receive the love that he has demonstrated by self-sacrificially serving us. And may that humble, sacrificial love be the very clear center of what animates us as individuals and us as churches. And in that, I think we should close in prayer, thanking God for this word and encouraging us to live in light of it. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we want to pray now in the name of your son Jesus and ask that your Holy Spirit will pour afresh upon each of us your great love, as Romans 5 explains very explicitly, the love that you have demonstrated by sending your son gets poured into our hearts. And we want to pray that as we eat the bread and we drink the cup, for those of us who have turned from our sinful, worldly passions and cravings of short-term, temporary successes and satisfactions, we will turn to the receiving of a deeper, fuller, long-lasting, satisfying source of love and life. And I pray that we would be animated with actions and words and deeds. These love and good deeds would not be the justifying reason for our salvation, but they would be the fruit and the exemplifying demonstration of our salvation. So, Lord, protect us now as we move on from here to not fall into either of these temptations and gutters of making little of this good created world or making little of what you've done for us in Christ as we try and seek to live faithfully in this world. Help us now in Jesus' name we pray, amen.